And she told me that he had not made it. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. That this was my brother who had just been murdered. A San Antonio Police Department detective murdered in broad daylight. It was a crime that shocked the city in 2016. The manhunt for the suspect, his capture, and then the trial. This is South Texas Crime Stories, the murder of Detective Benjamin Marconi. A year ago, we all watched as the capital murder trial of Otis McCain took place. For the first time ever, KSAT live-streamed the trial from gavel to gavel. We also heard and saw evidence for the first time. What we wanted to do with this episode is look back a little at that trial, but also focus on the life of Detective Marconi and how his death impacted so many. Benjamin Marconi was born in Floresville, just southeast of San Antonio. His father was an officer with San Antonio Police Department, and being a cop was a profession Detective Marconi gravitated to, and he himself joined SAPD as well. Here's Detective Marconi's brother, Tom Marconi, talking a little about their family during the trial. I am Ben's older brother. I'm the oldest of four siblings. His personality was probably um, bigger than life for us. Um, he was that person that I think it's safe to say that everyone in the family gravitated to Ben. I know my sisters uh, really looked to Ben as their hero. And then for the nieces and nephews, I mean, Uncle Ben was just uh, amazing for them. Uh, to have someone like him in their life to um, help in the molding of your children. Um, is um, something that you just can't put a price tag on. Everything for the Marconi family would change on November 20th, 2016. Detective Benjamin Marconi, a 20-year veteran of the SAPD, picked up an overtime patrol shift. It was something he had done often. That morning started like any other morning for Marconi in his patrol unit. Just before lunchtime, he pulled over a vehicle driven by Ricky Lee Martinez, who was with his family and visiting the Riverwalk. This traffic stop was made right in front of SAPD headquarters downtown. After Detective Marconi took his license and walked back to his vehicle, another car pulled up. Here's how Ricky described what happened next when he testified during the trial. While I was looking through my river mirror, I happened to glance to my side river mirror. And I just seen a car just pulled up. I don't know what thing I just seen is the front of a black front of a car just pulled up and I just thought that it was another officer. And um apparently there wasn't. Well I realized that I just seen an um a black male just ran up to the cop car and just shot fired. Uh 
that's the only thing I remember it of seeing because I didn't want to see no more because I was really scared and um, what has taken place. He then saw the gunman run back to his car and drove into an arm post into a parking lot and drive away. Detective Marconi had been shot twice. Multiple witnesses ended up seeing this crime take place. A via bus driver who was passing by, a mother and a daughter who were on their way to lunch, and another man who was also driving by and was able to stop and try to render aid to Detective Marconi. Detective Marconi was rushed to Samsi, where he later died. His stepdaughter, J.C. Reeves, describes in testimony during the trial how she found out about her father's death. I will never forget that day. My mom called me, and she told me he had not made it. So I got to the hospital, and there were police everywhere. And I, I ran in, and I just remember a wall of police officers everywhere. And our family was there, my aunts and uncle were there, some of our cousins. Just in shock that we were seeing this pillar of our family laying on the table. Gone. The search was now on for the man who committed this horrific crime that police were calling an execution-style shooting. A citywide manhunt took place. Police were not resting until the suspect was caught. And that man was caught 30 hours later. Otis McCain was arrested as he and his new wife were about to leave the city to Houston off I-10 and FM 1516. While the search for the suspect was over, everyone wanted to know why. Why did Otis McCain kill Detective Marconi? Apparently, the morning of November 20th, McCain had already been at SAPD headquarters asking to speak with someone about a custody issue he was having with his ex and not being able to see his son. Because it was a Sunday morning, nobody was readily available, and McCain left, only to show up hours later to shoot Detective Marconi. It was all just a random shooting. During his interrogation video, McCain admitted to being the shooter and explained, quote, I wanted to make the police station feel the burn I had in my heart. McCain, during his perp walk, also told the media, quote, I lashed out on somebody that didn't deserve it. While the suspect was now behind bars, the damage he had done affected so many. Not only the Marconi family, but his brothers in blue and the so many people who knew him. Hundreds attended his funeral, including law enforcement officers from across the nation. His brother Tom told the court last year how much Detective Marconi enjoyed being an officer. He had a true passion for, and a true gift for wanting to just help people. It was in him, it was built in his makeup. And so I think it was just a natural course for him to be able to serve a community and be able to help as many people as he did throughout his career. So, Lee, this trial took place for Otis McCain last summer. 
and this time last year we were in the thick of it. And I say the thick of it because it was four weeks long. I wasn't actually living in Texas at the time. I was up working in Omaha, Nebraska, and I still heard about this case. I was still getting the updates about what was happening in this trial because it just really consumed what happened, just really consumed everyone. Yeah, it was it was a big story for us here and um, as well for SAPD. I think they were just as involved. They wanted to know what was going on every day in court um, as we were able to live stream it and everybody watched along as as we covered it. When I said it was four weeks, there's kind of two halves of this trial. There's the first half where you it's which is called the guilt innocent phase. And then the second half, which is called the punishment phase. For the first half, the state put up 55 witnesses in 10 days. So not as the court expert here, that's your expertise. Is that normal to have that many witnesses come to a stand like that? I think because of just how big this case was, the DA's office wanted to make sure they had everything covered. So anybody who was involved in this case, whether they just picked up something off the street as a crime scene investigator or took a picture of something, they were going to be on the stand to testify. And that's really what we saw. They didn't cut any corners. This was a death penalty case, and they were going to make sure that they were going to get a guilty verdict in this case. And with, I mean, you mentioned in this how many people actually saw this happen because it was in broad daylight in downtown San Antonio. SAPD headquarters, it's around a lot. There's people who drive past, walk past, or just moseying along all the time. Yeah, I think at the time when when it happened, we didn't realize in 2016 just how many people saw this incident. We knew for sure that the driver that he had pulled over, Ricky, um, but that via bus driver testified. That mother and daughter who were in town and on their way to have lunch with family at Mi Tierra were driving by. And then that other man who was, you know, kind of first responded to, you know, Detective Marconi driving by. So there was a lot of witnesses When you say broad daylight downtown right before lunch on a Sunday morning, there's a lot of people around. And it was really sad almost to hear these these individuals testify because it impacted them so much about what they saw that day. I mean, Ricky Lee was just nervous being on the stand and talking about this because it changed his life. It's like I was pulled over for a traffic violation And I saw this happen and not knowing what to do next, but to try to protect my my own family. Right. I I honestly can't imagine seeing something like this. And with all of those eyewitnesses and it seems like it would help the prosecutor's case when it comes to all the evidence they were able to collect. There was so much evidence in this case against Otis McCain. It was almost interesting to see that why the There was even a trial because he had admitted guilt. I mean, there was that interrogation video. There was that perp walk with the media that we had. Some of the more interesting um, evidence that they kind of presented in court, one was a NASA image specialist. So we always see sometimes kind of expert witnesses testify on behalf of the state or the defense. So this was an an expert witness for, for the state 
So this guy was an image specialist. So what he does, he kind of enhances video or images to determine what's in them. Usually he does this for NASA. He was contacted by the DA's office of Bear County to help in this case. So in one of the videos that was shown in court is a video of the shooting happening while in while Detective Marconi is in the patrol unit. So you technically see a hand go through the window. That's all you see. You don't see a suspect. You see his hand, but there was a tattoo on that man's hand, which he was able to enhance from that video of inside the patrol unit. And it, while he couldn't say 100% it was a match, but it was very similar to the one picture that was shown in a picture of the one McCain had on his own hand. I feel like uh, tattoos are like detectives, prosecutors, best friends, because they're like, well, that's something I can say. This person has this 100%. I feel like that really helps with uh, cases and, and building who your suspect is. Yeah, and another piece of kind of evidence was from a man who called after seeing this on the news that police were looking for the owner of a vehicle because they had they had the photos of the vehicle because it was done right in front of SAPD headquarters where there's cameras everywhere. So they they we you know as the news that night we blasted here's a you know the suspect vehicle if you know well a man did call his name was Joseph Hinojosa he was an assistant manager at Renner Tire here in town and while he didn't witness the shooting he testified that he called police the next day providing them with information about Otis McCain after seeing news coverage he said that McCain bought the tires and wheels from the business from his business and was still making payments and would visit that rent a tire weekly to make a payment on his new tires and wheels. So he was seeing this man often. And when he saw the car on the news, he was like, I know that vehicle. I know who owns it. And he called police the next morning. Good for him. Because I think so many times people like will see something like, I wonder if what I think I know is actually relevant, if this is actually going to help. And so many times we hear police saying, call for anything. Let us know your tip because we need this information. You never know if this is going to lead us to our person. So good for Joseph Hinojosa for actually making that call and saying, I know this car. I know the person you're looking for. Here you go. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear how he kind of was like, at first I didn't want to, but then, you know, I talked to, you know, my other coworkers the next day and we decided, okay, we need to call. This is important that we call. Um, another part, which came from another expert witness, the markings, once they did find Otis McCain's car, there was some paint transfers on certain parts of his vehicle. Well, they were able to match those paint transfers from the parking lot arm that he hit and went through as he was leaving the scene. So we had a expert witness on transfer markings take the stand and present what she had examined and was able to detect that they was the same type of paint from the posts that he went through on his car as well. Essentially, this guy drew them a treasure map, said, follow these steps. I'm right here at the end of it. And detectives, prosecutors did a really good job of saying, this is how we followed the map to find him. Yeah, there was just so much. And that's like I said, that's not even including the confession. Which, you know, we all saw when we played the interrogation video. He's at first kind of denying what's going on. I don't know why you're arresting me. Why am I here? And then the detective, the lead detective was like, okay, you know what's going on here in town. I'm sure you heard of it. And end up, we found out later that he was actually on his cell phone 
doing searches of the coverage of Detective Marcoe's death on his phone. So he knew what he, you know, he had did. Didn't really hide the fact either. I mean, that next morning, I know we said it in there, his new wife, they were trying to leave to Houston. The day after Marconi's death, him and his girlfriend or fiance at the time walked into the Bear County Courthouse and got a marriage license and got married the morning after this happened. Because he probably told her and didn't want her to be able to testify against him because there's that marital privilege that you don't have to. Okay, I just, not to criticize her too much, but girl, why would you do that? Like, I mean, come on now. You know what this guy just did. Let's maybe create some separation. (laughs) Oh, that was a really bad thing. You're a bad person. Goodbye and leave. Why would you marry the guy who just shot a cop? We will never know. We will never hear from her. I mean, she, of course, was not at the trial. She was, um, of course, not on the stand as well. But that first half of the trial lasted for 11 days. And then the jury took 25 minutes. Probably the fastest I've ever seen (laughs) yet. I could be. It could be a win in the future. But as of now, for me, seeing a jury come back in 25 minutes, and of course, it was a guilty verdict. But what happened after that guilty verdict is what none of us were ever expecting. Throughout the entire trial, Otis McCain had very little emotion. I think just one time he cried seeing himself talk about his his son during the interrogation video that was being shown. That was the only time he showed any kind of emotion. So at the time, because we're all standing in the courtroom because the jury's walking out, I couldn't physically see him, but we're still live streaming. We're live on the six o'clock news at the time. You know, the verdict, Stephen Meyer, like the verdict was read, he's guilty. And our photographer, Sal Salazar, I'll give him some props here because he noticed McCain moving. And noticing started unbuttoning his shirt. He was like, what is this guy doing? Why is he unbuttoning? So he kept the camera on him. He's unbuttoning. He's untucking his shirt. He sits back down. And you notice one of the bailiffs go up to him and kind of be like, come on, let's go. I'm going to take you back. He doesn't move. So the guy's patient. You see the bailiff come up again. And that's when he just gets up and he elbows the bailiff in the face. And then it was just complete chaos from that point on as every sheriff, deputy, bailiff, investigator, officer that was in that court all went to that direction to tackle him down and restrain him. I think that outburst just adds on to, I'm going to call it an outburst, when he shot Detective Marconi. He said it was at random. I, I was upset about my son, so I wanted to make someone feel the pain. I think this, and I'm not a professional by any means. I'm not, not Dr. John, who we always call. But I think it just shows his impulsive nature that he doesn't think before he acts. And he's just going to fly off the handle at any moment because he gets this verdict, elbows uh, a bailiff. He doesn't get his son, shoots and kills a cop. It's just, it, it shows his impulsive nature. And I think he did know himself no favors for the second half of his of his trial, which was the punishment phase. It was either life in prison or the death penalty. 
And the first thing the DA did was they showed that video to the jury because the jury was out. They showed the video of what happened and put that bailiff on the stand and to discuss, you know, how he was like, I just asking him. And the next thing I know, I was getting hit in the face. Luckily, he wasn't seriously injured. It could have been a worse situation um, that we all saw live on air. It was a very intense moment. Let's talk now about that punishment phase. We heard in this punishment phase from the ex-girlfriend who he was having the custody issue with. And she described moments of rage from him and how he, you know, tried to crash the car once when they were driving because they were having an argument. And just that impulsiveness of when he doesn't really get what he wants, he's going to strike. And it doesn't matter who's around or who's there. Right. I think probably should have been something that he maybe talked to someone about. Maybe it's just like some kind of emotional imbalance. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know the guy. We're not experts in this, but I think it just really does show that he doesn't think about his actions before he takes an action. You can see the, the history playing out there. And it was never like, I never understood and I'll, I'll never understand this kind of mentality, but it was still nobody's fault. Like he still didn't see that he was at fault for any of this. And no, they were instigating me. They, it's, oh, poor me, poor me. I'm not the one doing anything here. They're instigating me and this is just me reacting to that. And then it's like, it doesn't work that way. And we were in the courtroom, we saw the video. At no point did that bailiff ever instigate just asking him to stand so he can take him back. He wasn't even aggressive with him. Yeah, I don't think he has anyone to blame for his his uh, life choices but himself with this. So in the end, we thought we were going to get another quick um, verdict from the jury on his sentence. But this one took seven and a half hours. And I, I really tried to put myself in a juror's shoes. You're really deciding whether a man dies here. And that's got to weigh on you as a person. I think it probably did for some of those those jurors to decide whether to give him life in prison or the death penalty. But after seven and a half hours, they did give him the death penalty. So he is on death row and he is the first death penalty issued here in Bear County at that time in five years. So you could just understand just hearing that and how long it'd been since a juror had a jury had sentenced someone to death, just the, the gravity of this case. Yeah, it definitely, it holds a lot of weight and it's not an easy decision for a jury to hand out. And it's not a position I would ever want to be in. We tried to speak to him. He is on death row already and he has since declined an interview. I'm assuming it's because he does have appeals process. And I know one of the appeals is probably going to be that he wasn't given the opportunity to take the stand because during the punishment phase, he was, he spoke to the judge. He's like, Hey judge, I have something to say. And his attorneys told him, no, stop, stop talking. Not right now. And the judge was like, that's not how it works. You can't just stand up in court and say, I want to talk. So um, I, that's probably going to be one of his appeals, I'm assuming, is that I wasn't allowed the right to take the stand in my own defense. We'll see how that plays out. Like I said, there's still that overwhelming evidence. And I don't honestly see any of these appeals working in his favor and I think that's why we saw the 55 witnesses, because the DA's office wanted to make sure everything was covered and no mistake was made when this when this trial was on. And unfortunately, because of a case like this one, how Detective Marconi died 
tends to overshadow how he lived. Yeah, and that's, I think, the saddest thing about this whole, this whole story is how good of a man Detective Marconi is. His name will always be associated with Otis McCain. And his daughter, during testimony in the punishment phase, took the stand um, and, and talked about that. Here's what she had to say. His death will always overshadow the good things because this is what will be associated with his name. Yeah, it's definitely powerful kind of what she had to say there about about her dad, about the guy who who it's her stepfather who helped raise her. But, yeah, it's 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 a sad fact. One thing I didn't realize, I knew I'm from Wilson County. So Detective Marconi was born and raised in Floresville, which is about five miles from where I grew up. And I didn't know how many people we actually both knew coming from such a small community. And I got to see some of them while they were in court. And I got to, to know the Marconi family a little better while I was in court. And all of them were just such sweet people. And they were there every day of that four-week-long trial, as hard as it was for them to be there, to have this rehashed and to see some of this evidence that was presented, like there was there was evidence of the video of him being shot. There was the autopsy photos. It was very hard, grueling trial. And I give them so much credit because it showed how strong this family really is and continues to be and will not let a person like Otis McCain drag them down as much hurt that he has caused them. And, and Detective Marconi, Marconi's brother, Tom, also took the stand during the punishment phase. And he spoke about a quote that I like to end this, this episode with. And here's, I think it just kind of shows the type of person Detective Marconi is and what he meant to so many. And I, I won't go into the details of the situation. It was an email of when we were communicating. And I, I noticed at the end of the email on the salutation was, evil triumphs when good men do nothing. And at, at first read, I thought, okay, he's, what is he trying to tell me? You know, I don't remember seeing that before. You know, it sounds like I have to do something. Uh, but uh, as I learned uh, a little bit more, he had that salutation throughout. And ha uh, it, I know it had a, a specific meaning for him, of which I'm not exactly sure, but it, it certainly has meaning for me, especially now. Thanks so much for joining us for the latest episode of South Texas Crime Stories. Next week, we'll talk about a murder-for-hire plot involving a well-known San Antonio businessman.